0: Well, thank you, Wendy, for joining us. Um, Before we get into the questions, do you wanna just give us a potted history of how you got to this, being asked to be on this panel? What experience you might bring to the, not the
1: table, but the chair for us? You'll have to get used to me learning how to use a microphone. So just point it that way. Yeah, okay. I get freaked out by hearing my voice so loud, and then I get quieter and quieter. Um, So I studied medicine in Sydney, 1980 to 84. Um, I didn't like it once I started working. Um, Had a big break. We lived in Nepal for seven years. I think I had about a 14 or 16-year break from clinical medicine. Then I did some surgical assisting. Very Essie here. Um, And then I did a master's in counselling at uh, Christian Heritage College, um, which I'm very convinced God meant for me as much as anyone else I might be able to assist after that Um, because it made me reflect on all kinds of areas of my life that I'd made a lot of assumptions about, including what God requires of us and how to be a better person in relationships. So I'm still learning, but I've got a lot more tools and strategies, and I guess that's something of what I hope to be able to share today.
0: Excellent. Uh, I've really appreciated having you as part of our church family and various pastoral things that we've been through together as a, as a church. Uh, and I've loved the way that you are constantly reading new things and bringing new ideas into your mix. So I'm really looking forward to others benefiting from that wisdom. Uh, we do, as I said before, have some fairly confronting questions that are going to come up today, um, questions that are going to tap into the lived experience of many people in our community, which is, I think, why they were asked. Um, But we're going to try to answer these questions sensitively and not speaking as though we're counselling you particularly, but maybe at the level of principles and some helpful skills. But if, as we talk, there are issues that come up for you that you want to raise one-on-one, you can talk to either of us about Mm -hmm. those. But I think what we're often going to be doing is saying we're not professionals in this area and there are good professionals and we as your church family want to encourage you to see qualified professionals. We don't want to be undermining uh, confidence in the professionals in your corner. We've talked in the past about a pyramid of care. And so we want to be making sure we're working with those people who are helping you pursue wholeness. Um, And so saying that, our first question, uh, what does it mean to love your neighbour when your neighbour is abusive? Uh, That's a pretty live question for lots of people in our community. and that uh, neighbour language, it can include family members, it can include parents or ex-spouses, potentially even, though we might not know it, spouses or partners. It can include siblings. It can include all sorts of people who are connected to you as neighbours. And nothing that we say this morning will be an attempt to minimise the impact caused on people by abuse. Uh, including the impact of traumatic experiences on our bodies and on our sense of self. And these things when wrong things are done to you, it can actually write itself into your experience of the world so that as other things uh, remind you of that trauma or trigger that trauma, um, that gets kind of written into your body, your body relives things. And so these experiences can actually make it harder to know God and to know that you're loved by God. And we don't want to deny that any of that's real. In fact, it's a a real and present experience for many people in this room. Uh, And so we're trying to be careful as we speak into this question. Um, But I also want to say as we start, and I'll I'll just say a couple of things and then I'll invite Wendy, this is not a new scenario for Christians. Uh, Christians have been people who faced abuse since the first Christians put their trust in a crucified king and since that caused friction with their neighbours, uh, for Jewish Christians, with Jewish neighbours, for Roman Christians, with Roman neighbours, and, and it caused real harm to those Christians. So it's not something that the Bible is silent on. Um, and I think as we answer a few of these questions, I'm hoping to unpack a bit more or to at least leave us with more, more questions about what we understand love to be when we ask a question like this and uh, what we understand of what we're called to do when we're called to love not only our neighbour but our enemies and what that means for us as people and how that fits with the, the greater command to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and because of the impact that abuse has on us uh, where it stops us being secure in our relationship with God it's it's actually stopping our ability to obey that greater command and have that flow through to the former one so there's attention here that we've got to kind of wisely work out in our lives. And my first kind of bit to throw in here that Wendy you might respond to in your answers is that uh, it's important to realise that when we talk about love, it doesn't mean accepting the way another person acts or their definition of love or their understanding of how you should respond to them. Uh, Love for us is defined by who God is, by his character and by his modelling of love for us in jesus and love doesn't mean forgetting our humanity and our limits and so we're not god Uh, we are not infinite and omnipotent and all-powerful and unable to be changed or affected by the behavior of someone else towards us we're creatures and so that's going to impact our ability to love and it also impacts what we're called to do because we're not called to kind of sit in the seat of god ever we're called to be people who reflect his nature and character And so love can involve rebuking another person because you're pursuing their good, which is their conforming to the nature of God. It can involve calling someone to repentance and it can involve limiting their ability to sin against you and against others. It can involve nonviolent resistance. It can involve relying on those who wield the sword, the government, in our case, to act justly uh, while having the goal of someone's restoration to God and to being an image bearer of God who's like God and so uh, glorifies him in their lives. And so when we say love, uh, you might bring an idea to that word that has been shaped by someone, and it could be someone who is an abuser, who is a wolf, who has been uh, treating you as prey and acting as a predator. And so we've actually got to sit back and ask ourselves what love is before we can answer this question well. And love is never something that fails to bring glory to God. It's never uh, the abuse or the desecration of someone who's made in God's image. That's a really huge thing about our humanity, that it means that we have the capacity for glory and desecration is like when you take something glorious and make it profane and abuse things that don't see someone as an image bearer uh, are unholy and so they cannot be loving. But I'm going to ask you, Wendy, how you might answer this question uh, and what you might say to people who are living this reality of trying to negotiate an answer to this question in their relationships.
1: Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, I guess where my medical background feeds into what I understand now more about psychology and stuff is the triage. Um, So for some people... They might be living in a situation of, of danger, physical or emotional danger. And sometimes Christians think that that's their lot to bear and they need to be patient and loving. But um, it's important that people are safe and we as a church community uh, can have a role to play. And as a, one, of, one of the psychologists um, who's a specialist in trauma, Babette Rothschild, if anyone's come across her, She's very to the point, and she says you can't talk someone safe. Sometimes people need a roof over their heads with a door they can lock, a safe place to go, medical help, um, someone to help them mend. So there's that extreme level of abuse that becomes legal. Um, Police get involved, and that's extreme, but it shouldn't be ignored. Um, There are other sort of situations in which you... person is abusive in a way that's less obvious. Um, You may be aware of it or someone might point it out to you. Um, And the question might come up, how closely connected do I need to be to this person? To what degree can I distance myself from this person and their impact on me um, while still being kind and respectful? Uh, There's a really useful passage in um Romans 12. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And it goes on really to describe a situation in which we're to be humble and kind, but also to be aware of good and evil. And that there is a time to walk away. Um, perhaps not without consulting other people, getting the help that we think we need. Um, So I guess the message often to people that I've counselled is you don't actually have to stand there and be hit on either cheek over and over and over. Um, If if this is a situation that is breaking you down and it's not helpful to you or for the other person to be left in that way. Um, Something else with social networks, be careful what you share on social media if it's going to make you more vulnerable in a certain situation. Um, And depending on the the nature of the relationship, it might be that you need to have what Nathan would refer to as a a truthing in love conversation, perhaps with someone else to help you. Um, And perhaps working down to situations within families or closer relationships that you find really taxing, um, it may be an invitation for you to think, why is this so hard? Are we working off an old script that needs rewriting? Do we need someone to help us push through this and relate in a different way? Um, it could be an invitation to push through to go on a bear hunt, to go through something that's hard to get to something better, but you don't have to do it alone. Um, I guess something that's also helpful is what even people who aren't involved in the church call the golden rule. so Treat others as you would like to be treated. So that's that respect and kindness. Um, but I guess we're going to get onto boundaries. And we are called to love our enemies, but doesn't mean we have to do it face-to-face necessarily. Um, and the workplace did come up. Uh, that can, they can be situations of really awful abuse. Um, and when it's tied to your livelihood, it's really tough. And I'm sure there'll be some great things in that conference. Um, see what options are open to you. Um, get the help you need and maybe leave if you need to.
0: Thanks, Wendy. I think uh, another part of navigating this question is uh, there are two categories of people we're called to love in, in the gospel, in, in Matthew, in, when Jesus talks about loving your neighbour. Uh, we're called to love our neighbour and we're called to love our enemies. Mm. And part of working out How to answer this question is discerning if someone's a neighbour or an enemy, Um, and you're going to act differently to them in either case. Uh, So a neighbour might be someone who you are connected to in love in a relationship who is hurting you uh, without intending that to be the case, and so the kind of conversations you might have there uh, will look like calling them to see the hurt that they're causing and inviting them to repent, to change their behaviour, to to work towards reconciliation and restoration. I think when Jesus talks about enemies, uh, there's a couple of kind of pictures I think he has in mind. He's got the, the Romans, and you get that from one of the examples he gives, um, the the kind of person who wants to steal your tunic, this evil person who's out there. And it could be, the, in his case, as you see the story unfold, the Jewish leaders who are going to do that sort of thing to him. But there's also the Old Testament picture of the wolf, the the one who comes among the people of God, those we're kind of in community with, seeking to destroy. And that that can happen in church communities. And I do want to acknowledge that when we talk about abuse, uh, it's not something that happens out there, and it's something that churches have perpetrated through different structures, but also through different people. And we're not just talking about sexual abuse here, but the abuse of spiritual power and authority and the way that that has real impacts on people's lives. Uh, And so part of our job when we're faced with, abuse when we're faced with our boundaries being violated is to discern whether we're dealing with a wolf and an enemy uh, or a, a sheep who bites a bit and that's tricky and it's going to be tricky depending on you and your kind of strength in that relationship your power for want of a better word in that relationship um as a parent kids can be really hard and do things that feel violent and abusive but they're not the ones who are in power so you're going to handle that quite differently if you're a child and a, a parent's wielding their power and being violent against you in a particular way. And so your response is going to be different based on who you are in that relationship. And I think as Wendy says, love doesn't need to be face-to-face. We get a, a picture of that in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is it talks about loving your neighbour as well as your enemies and says one of the ways to show love for your enemies is to pray for those who are persecuting you, to be always seeking their restoration to who they were made to be, even if that's not going to be your job face-to-face to bring about, to keep thinking of them as someone made in God's image who has that capacity, even if they've shifted because of their sinfulness to uh, a predator who desecrates, to be seeking their goods and to be not becoming wolf-like in your response, to, becoming, to be becoming Christ-like. And so what it means to love your enemy, I think, is to uh, seek they're good by giving it over to God. And I, Romans 12 is one of my favourite passages for this. I'm really glad Wendy went there because I, I love the picture at the end where it talks about not repaying anyone evil for evil. So what it means to love your neighbour when they're abusive is to let go of vengeance. And that's a human tendency to want to seek justice on our own terms, uh, but not repay anyone evil for evil, not be dragged down into the mud, not become wolf-like, Uh, but instead be careful to do what's right, Uh, not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. So part of the story when it comes to abuse is that God knows what it's like to stand before an abuser because that's the story of Jesus in his trial and in his execution uh, as he's beaten and spat on and crucified. Uh, But God is just and God will punish abuse and bring justice. Uh, It says... Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written in his mind to avenge, I will repay. Now, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And I really like that picture of our best course when someone's abusive to us is to react with love and goodness as a contrast to them in a way that gives them a, a taste of God's goodness, a taste of our trust in God, but also the kind of thing that might sear their conscience because they are made in the image of God. So don't overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. So whatever's going on in any of these relationships, one of the other things I think we need to remember is that we can often operate in the now, in the present, and think that we need an immediate fix, but love is actually a lifelong thing, and God's timing works heaps differently to ours. So seeking safety and working on your boundaries and your sense of self and how you might react to this person 10 years from now, 20 years from now, is totally good and okay. You don't need to sacrificially love that person by going and letting them do what they are still doing. You need to be in a position where you can rest and be safe in God and secure have a community of people around you who are providing you that security. Be praying for that person, but as much as possible, not repaying evil with evil, but with good and with love. Um, And that's obviously very sort of principle level, not specific, and different circumstances are going to require different wisdom and different discerning how to react to that situation. But I hope what's clear is if you are in a situation where you're being abused, whether it's violently or whether it's in a form of control or whether it's through language, you should get to safety. You should leave that. You should not continue enabling that abuse. That's not what you're called to do as a Christian. You're called to love that person and that doesn't mean letting them go on sinning in the kind of desecration of an image-bearing person, and that's you. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add before we
1: move to the next one, Wendy? I guess it's sort of, uh, oh, sorry. Um, these questions are quite overlapping, and there's always a phrase that I loved from that Jesus tells his disciples when he sends them out. He says, to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Um, so I think, you know, be kind but be discerning. Um, and I think that's something to bear in mind. Yeah.
0: Okay, so this is a kind of flow-on effect, a uh, flow-on question, sorry. What does it mean to relate safely to an unsafe person? Mm. What are some tips for how we might do that, I guess?
1: Yeah, um, I thought it might, do we have that slide of attachment theory? Yeah, okay. Now, you might be familiar with attachment theory. So talking, it's it's about safety in relationships. And the reason that I think it's really important is that it helps me think, how can I be a safe person for someone else? Um, attachment theory is used a lot in parenting because it explains that we run from what we call internal working models from our early relationships in life. So in this diagram, you might see that those two hands at the bottom, which I think is, it always makes me think of God's strong hands, but the carer, the person to whom the child returns, should be bigger, stronger, wiser and kind. Um, you will have seen children do this. You're probably seeing it with Lorenzo and, and uh, Gemma today. The child sort of comes into, just touch base, goes out and wanders, comes back in. They might come back in distressed excited just needing a little bit of encouragement and when there is a a carer who provides all that the child grows up anticipating that is how the world works that is how I operate in the world but not everyone has had carers like that um and sometimes if you've had a safe situation and you come across people who operate differently it's quite a shock they may be quite unsafe um so good to think what makes this person unsafe for you they might be obviously unsafe to anybody but there might be something about them and you that really sets you off um do we just clash Um, do they remind me of something that i've experienced or someone i've met before is it the past jumping into the present Um, is there something unresolved that's being highlighted in me through this relationship um Or is this person, because they've got a different model, are they trying to connect in a way that makes them feel safe because they've got all these strategies that help them through their early years? Um, So are they just relating in a way that's really unhelpful, trying to stay safe and making me unsafe in the process? So God obviously is the ideal um, secure base and safe haven. And if you go looking for scriptures about rocks and hiding places, you'll find plenty that even if we didn't have a good model, God is the perfect model. And what we now understand, uh, psychologically speaking, is that if we spend time with safe people, even if we've had an insecure start, that can improve. And as we feel more secure, we can offer greater security and safety to others. Um, So I guess that's something that the question makes me think of, of what is a safe person? How can I be a safer person, and I think relating to the earlier question, um, when I notice things are not safe, what are my options here, which I think we've probably covered. Um, And, of course, in becoming safer people as we tap into God and his spirit develops in us, the fruit of the spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, um, that we reflect God's safety. does that help?
0: Yeah, I think the I'd, I'd kind of just want to build on what you've said. It's a bit like the airplane thing where you're relating safety to an unsafe person might mean making sure you're safe and secure mm. first. So they apply the oxygen to yourself, and yeah. safety, your sense of safety, I think, will depend on your relational security with other people, but also mm. with God, as you're kind of directing us to. Mm. And we um, we'll talk about boundaries in a little while. But one of the things I think you've helpfully pointed out to me is when you have feelings of being unsafe, often it's because a boundary you may or may not have articulated as being mm. crossed or something, I think, as you've kind of alluded to people who remind you of mm. trauma, you might be being triggered by something that you're not mm. um, even totally aware of. Mm. And part of relating safely to an unsafe person and, and developing that sense of safety is being able to recognise mm. those triggers and those boundaries and, and having the secure... Attachment to God and to others, so that you can navigate. I think as Christians, we're not called to avoid danger. We're not called to only ever be safe, mm. but we're called to operate in a dangerous world because we're safely connected to God and to His people. Mm. Uh, that allows us to take on some risk, yeah. knowing that we're secure. Yeah. Um, but I think that also has to balance balanced with recognizing that those triggers are, are bringing up things that are real and that can. Mm if you aren't safely and securely attached to God, can actually distort your view of God. You can end up with mm. a, a picture of God who looks like mm. um, someone who's quite dangerous yeah. to you. And so mm. this attachment to God is about knowing and understanding who God is because of how we meet him in Jesus and how we understand him through his word, but also how we meet him in his people in church. And so mm. part of being uh, people who are called to love like Jesus is as a community, working out how to be safe for one another and to be people who don't take advantage when people are vulnerable and to be people who can have the kind of connections that allow people to, to know God and to experience love so that we can, even as people who are maybe unsafe to us, come into our community, whether they're Christians or not, uh, we can be secure in the way that we seek to, to love them. But the the nice bit about Galatians where you went to with the fruit of the spirit, it starts with this idea of keeping in step with god's spirit and that's what kind of brings these fruit uh this fruit about and then the very next thing that paul says is this paradox that's useful here he says that uh, each of us uh, should bear one another's burdens Mm -hmm. so part of relating safely is having this network of people who carry the weight for you but we should also carry our own load Mm -hmm. and those two are related like your capacity to bear someone else's burdens depends on your ability to safely operate as a as a person with with boundaries and for each of us to have kind of boundaries that are a bit porous, that let other people in, let other people uh, into our areas of vulnerability, let other people support us mm. without being violated. But that requires a pretty strong sense of self and a safe connection to God. Mm. I think,
1: um, yeah, so safe enough I think is useful to think of. And if I know that there's a person I spend time with or connect with who really drains my tank, then I've got someone else I can go and have a couple cu- with and just maybe process a bit even um, a debrief if it's appropriate, um, but I've got enough reserve, enough safety, a network that will allow me to continue to reach out and connect with someone else. Um, but, again, discernment's needed. But I think part of what comes through with these questions and our response is our individualistic society makes us feel like this has to be managed on our own, with our own resources and um as nathan keeps reminding us and all about the use that um we're in this together um we support one another
0: yeah i think too just before we move on to the next one um part of safety and part of having that good sense of self is about good Mm self-care kind of going to things that remind you of your creatureliness of your limits remembering you should sleep and eat and do all those things but doing things that are teaching you about the goodness of god as well so Mm -hmm. Uh, that probably means digging into uh, the Bible and, and hearing from God, but also the things that you delight in, um, whether it's songs or poetry or creation that can teach you good things about God uh, so that you know that God's good. And one of the things I've observed of people who are in unsafe or abusive relationships is the, the abuser ends up teaching you a false gospel and giving you a false picture of yourself that you can then have written into you through different trauma responses and even the ways that you might react when you're triggered in, in ways that aren't kind of forms of self care, but self harm. Uh, whether that's, and that can be just the abuse of a good thing, or it can be the abuse of your body and the, the feeling that you need to pay for your inadequacy to that person. Uh, so, self care that teaches you the gospel is part of what helps you stay safe and connected to God so that when other voices come in and say things about you that aren't true, you have that security and that connection to God that minimises that harm a bit. Um, But let's move on to boundaries, which is I think we're going to go a bit uh, when we talk about this question um, or these questions. Are we supposed to love unconditionally like God does? And what does it mean to love unconditionally while practising boundaries? Um, Wendy and I were talking about this this week, this question, and, and even this morning as we kind of approach having to speak to it and trying to get more clarity in our heads. Um, I think there are probably two key things to touch on in that first question. Uh, The first one is uh, you can't talk about unconditionally loving before you know what love is. I think sometimes our picture of love is so messed up by the people we've been attached to who might have been abusive or We're so messed up because we hear all this stuff from the world telling us what love is, not not getting it from the source of love, and that's God. Um, And so before you answer what it looks like to unconditionally love someone, you need to know what love is and what the parameters for love are. And love is going to look like sacrifice, like that's what you get in in 1 John. Our picture of love is Jesus and him laying down his life for us, even though we were his enemies. Uh, And that feels pretty unconditional. But love is not accepting someone as they are, as they do you harm. Love is not uh, all sorts of things that we might freight into that word as we kind of add the word unconditionally. And the other thing that I I touched on in the answer to the first question that I think I I want to keep bringing back as we talk about boundaries is the idea of limits. So we're not to put ourselves in the position of God in these relationships. There was one really helpful um, concept for me. It's not even what Paul means, I think, when he says this, but it's an implication of what he says. So in 1 Corinthians, I think early on in this gig, I was so big on imitating Jesus and on our call to be like him, to, to lay down our lives, that it was almost like I felt the pressure in relationships to be Jesus, to sacrifice myself for that one person to solve their problem, To, to you, you might call that a Messiah complex, I think, and it became really unhelpful, and Paul... Um, in 1 Corinthians when he's dealing with division in the church, so it's not quite this issue, he just throws away this line, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And the answer is no. The answer is Jesus is crucified for us. And so our job as people who bear the image of God and who are being transformed in the image of likeness of Jesus is not to be Jesus in those moments. It's to imitate Jesus, but it's also to do that because we want to point people to Jesus and his love uh, and our love will be an echo of that, but it will be a creaturely echo of the way God loves. And so boundaries are actually part of limits. Boundaries are part of being made people who are limited to our flesh, limited to our time and place, limited in the, in our capacity and in all the relationships we're called to, to love people in. And so boundaries are actually wise stewardship of the limits that God's given us as creatures, not a kind of thing we should reluctantly take up but a thing that we should take up in thanksgiving to the god who is not limited who doesn't sleep who is all-powerful and is the one who sends jesus as the savior that these people need Uh, but wendy what is your answer to both of these questions how do you kind of guide us towards healthy boundaries and a healthy sense of who we
1: are in the relationships we're in that Um. Well, I guess yeah, it's forced me to ponder that question of unconditional because God does have conditions. He's got rules, um, boundaries of thou shalt not and thou shalt. Um, we aren't able to keep all those rules, but Jesus kept them for us. Um, so when we trust in Jesus, we satisfy God's requirements. Um I guess loving unconditionally, it made me think of the broader sense like Micah 6.8, which Hannah helpfully has on her forearm. <laughs> yes. Um, of justice, mercy and walking humbly with God. And that that justice and mercy is applied to other people, um, but justice is left with God. Um, so it's, it's all kind of overlapping. Um, all relationships require maintenance, um, kindness, generosity, respect, balance of proximity and space, honesty, confession, forgiveness, mending fences, especially the closest ones. Um, but something that a, a, fra- a couple of phrases that I use um, have used with clients is looking at this degree of connection, um, holding boundaries but still being loving, and it may be in the context of people we find difficult is what level of connection is safe and sustainable or meaningful and manageable. So that might be one you ponder over the week with particular people. Um, now, boundaries um, are big. Now, this is a quote from Brene Brown. Cue slide. Do we have Brene there? Yeah. So she uses this acronym. There's a really good clip um, Boundaries, Empathy and Compassion if you can't find it, I can flick you the link, uh, where she talks this through. Um, I think one of the problems as Christians, we think that we can't say no. Uh, Something that I think is really important is that we realise that when we're told let your yes be yes and your no be no, the no is clear, thought through, kind, and then the yes is wholehearted because we've made the boundary clear. So I think that's what she says. Boundaries enable me to stay in my integrity, which basically means feeling safe, um, confident that we understand where the limits are. But within that line, I'm, I can be generous. So it allows me to say yes, not to say well, okay, maybe, because we're not quite sure how far we're going to get pushed, and we end up saying yes and doing things with a degree of resentment, frustration, fatigue, um, which is not helpful, and I think that's particularly something that can happen in church when we feel a bit guilted. Um, But if we've thought through what we need to say no to so we can say yes to other things, then it's okay to kindly say, I'm so sorry, Um, I just can't manage that. Or even to negotiate a boundary and say, you know, I can do part of that task, but I can't manage it all. Um, So boundaries are something that often need a reworking, different stages of life. While I'm on my L plates, I can't drive alone. Once I've got my licence, I can. Laws. Laws are boundaries. Um, And again, as I think Nathan was alluding to there, that phrases like go the extra mile, well, we are called to do that. There are times when we push to our limits and it feels like even beyond them, but we can't necessarily do that all the time or it's not sustainable. Or when Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, well, that was Paul's specific and incredible um, task that was given to him by God, that he was spending himself in that way and God kept giving him the capacity to do that. So um, there are times when we live at the edge of our capacity with God's strength and the help of others. But there are other times we get to say, you know what, in order to function well, I need to put a limit on this. Um, The principal at Bible College um, SNBC had a phrase which is probably not his own, but it's it's a good one. Don't let the good become the enemy of the best. And that our boundaries are a reflection of our values. and if, if they're not, then we need to look at them again. Uh, also, we need to think, why am I saying no to this? Is it because I'm scared? Uh, is it because actually I can't be bothered or I'd rather do something else for me? Or is there a really good reason? Um, and am I saying yes to this because I've been guilted and I'm a people pleaser and really I'm very tired and I feel out of my limit and unsupported? Um, or am I saying yes Um, in a way that allows me to do this with generosity and real commitment. Um, So something else that comes through in Brene Brown's talk is um, when people are pushing our limits or we don't think they're doing as well as they could to hold that degree of compassion and think maybe that's the way they think things work. Um, And we may have to work on this. Um, yep, that's probably.
0: Yeah, i the, the thing you said about Paul and the pouring out as a drink offering thing I think it's really mm. fascinating and important here when we think about boundaries, because I think, as you say, that's a product, not only I think of Paul's calling, but the reality of his relationships. Mm. So in 1 Corinthians 7, where he talks about wishing people would live as he is because he's single and unattached and can mm. be wholeheartedly mm. devoted to the kingdom. Um, every reality, every real relationship you enter creates a sense of obligation and, and a kind of responsibility to love well. So that your pouring of yourself out into those relationships is part of sacrificially loving someone. But you've got to do that with wisdom and recognizing mm-hmm. the realities of humanity. So if, if you have a child, uh, it's not responsible for you to kind of burn yourself out. Yeah. At, at work, or if you're in ministry, in ministry, or or do all these things to imitate Paul, because that's actually not loving this person you are responsible for for loving. And so the principle I think remains the same that we, as we imitate Jesus, should be giving our lives as living sacrifices. But our time frames, like if we just think that's an immediate, poise of out in every moment thing, that's not recognizing our creatureliness and the the real reality the real reality come on Uh, the reality of our relationships that we have these responsibilities that we should be thinking much longer term about as we seek to sacrificially love Mm. people and boundaries are a wise way again to steward who god's given us as he's given us to these people Mm. Um, just as paul was stewarding who god had given him and called him to be as he uh, poured himself out in the different ways that he did Mm. Um, i think i just want to kind of circle back again as we, I'll just bring the question back up. Um, I, I think one of the, when we talk about boundaries, which is that kind of practicing boundaries thing, the, the sheep wolf thing I think comes in again. Boundaries are like fences that we can use uh, to keep wolves out as well. So it's not just that you have a, a boundary to kind of keep the sheep in and to protect yourself. Uh, boundaries are a way to stop predators consuming you and others and so the way that we as a community might have boundaries uh, or you as individuals have boundaries I think is part of that legitimate discerning uh, when you're interacting with someone are you interacting with someone who's acting as a child of satan which is what jesus says the the wolves are when he kind of comes toe to toe with some in the gospels Um, and I think one of the things to think through because it's not just an individual thing as uh, we've touched on. When we talk about boundaries and when we talk about holding them, uh, in community, people are going to have different amounts of privilege and power, and uh, part of holding boundaries may actually be that in those moments where you feel a a boundary is being violated, there will be some people in your network, whether that's a church or, or around you, who have some strength you can draw on in that time or who can enforce or help you to enforce boundaries. Uh, and that includes the state, like that includes those who God has tasked with wielding the sword, and that's legitimate. Like you don't have to go, I have to absorb all of this myself and I have to hold the line. Um, drawing on the strength that those God has put in your life who have strength and power is totally okay and, and wise and a good practising of communal boundaries. Um, and the real distressing thing I think for Christians now grappling with the way the church has been abusive it's hard to know who to turn to to wield that power well uh, and that's something that we as a community have to kind of wrestle with as we work out what that looks like to use our strength those who have strength for the sake of others as we kind of seek to shepherd one another to, to serve the good Shepherd um, but some boundaries like there's a there's a psalm that talks about God being the one who doesn't sleep, some of our boundaries just natural flow and effect from not being God. And so I think to kind of circle back to how the two questions relate, um, unconditionally can never mean without limits because we're limited. Um, That's something I've had to grapple with, so I hope that's helpful to be grappling with together. Do you have anything you want to
1: add on this question? I think that sort of helps come back to the self-care that you mentioned. If, we get, if we're to give of our best. Um, and that can involve all the people and resources that um, give us positive input. Um, and of course, time with God, just rest. And that it comes back to the, in order to say a wholehearted yes to this, I need to be clear about my no with this. And that that can change over time, depending on the situation of our lives. Like uh, when your kids are small, the demands on your life are different from when they're up and going. Um, and different opportunities arise and different invitations come that you have to consider in the light of your skills, the gifts God's given you, the opportunity, um, and God's prompting as to whether this is a yes or a no, and the counsel of others who know you well. I did have some other slides. Mm.
0: That's all right. Uh, Are Christians allowed to be angry? And if so, how do we express anger appropriately and encourage others to do the same? Do you want to kick us off with this one?
1: Okay. Okay. I guess we know the verse, in your anger, do not sin. So there is anger. Um, So I guess a couple of colloquial thoughts are, but calm the farm before you open the gates. Um, And it's not the same as revenge is a dish best served cold. And it's not Ivanka Trump's, don't get angry, get everything. (laughs) So um, there are things, there are things. That bring anger, anger is known as a secondary emotion. It's something that's often on top of something that lies beneath. Um, anyone who's read Larry Crabb back in the day talked about it as a light on the dashboard. There's something wrong under the hood. Don't keep driving just powered by anger. Or some of us given the example of an iceberg that the anger is the bit we see, and underneath there might be a sense of injustice, humiliation. Um, disappointment, frustration um, And another interesting phrase is that anger is Sad's bodyguard, which takes me straight to inside out by Pixar. So the idea of rage and what's behind him. Um, uh, Cloud and Townsend say that anger usually means a line's been crossed and that boundary is that a good boundary, Um, and is it legitimate that we're angry, or is it something else that's just kind of thrown us out? Um, Or is it very obviously something that should make us angry, injustice, cruelty, things that um, will need a response? And I think that's one of the things about anger is it's an emotion, energy in motion. And if we sit with it, it simmers away and can lead us to revenge. That's not helpful. But it's an invitation to say, What what is the message that anger has for me? Um, So it requires a response, I guess. It's either there to go, well, actually, I think I've been unreasonable or this is something I need to talk to a friend about and I just need to deal with my own strength of emotion or is this something that means, you know what, I think I need to write to my local member. Um, or I need to get in and do something. It's something that invites action. Um, But we do need to be careful uh, as to how we express anger. I think that express anger. And a note to the passive-aggressive such as myself, I'm not angry. Well, (laughs) it might be painfully obvious to others around me, if not to myself, that I'm just simmering. And so I need to look at that. Um, that's that might not be explosive anger, but it can still be damaging in relationships, and it can mean I'm not thinking as clearly as I could. Um, I think the, sometimes the question: the anger is once I've calmed it down, is is there something that I need or that I need to do in response to this? Um, it might be something that I can't change and need help to grieve. I might need to go and spill it all out to a friend. Say, I think I'm angry because of this, blah. And they pat me on the back, give me a cup of tea and offer words of comfort or maybe even some home truths. You know, I have noticed this about you. Is this something you need some more help with? Um, and I, I think we're not encouraged to, you know, to... anything violent to do anything extreme obviously our response is to be um patient kind forgiving and self-control i think that's a big one in this context again with the fruit of the spirit um and again there might be the situation in which i've been made angry um in a particular relationship and it might be time to have a really important and difficult conversation do we have that slide the wiser So this an is acronym. yeah, it's a, it's an acronym um, which I can can never get all the way through, um, but it's a it's a guide to a conversation which may be helpfully carried out with someone to offer support and keep everybody on track. That when this happened, I felt not I felt you were rude, but I felt sad. Um, I think I felt sad because blah blah blah. I know you're under stress. I know da 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 but I wonder if in the future we could do it differently or I think what I needed was. So um, it's a way to keep the temperature down when things potentially can get a little bit intense. Um, so that's, that's something we might need to consider is what's our response. Um, and I guess, when do I get help? When I keep tripping over this same thing all the time or it's impacting relationships.
0: Thanks, Wendy. Um, I think like I, I struggle with sinning when I'm angry. Uh, I think anger is the dashboard light for me, often flicks when there's injustice, mm-hmm. whether I perceive injustice. And that can be with things that are impacting me personally, or it can be the world at large. And I think God is angry at injustice and he's angry at sin and he's righteously angry at me when I sin and so um, anger I think is something we need to acknowledge is is there Um, and again I just want to go we we need to keep coming back to knowing our limits, knowing that we're not God, we're not in a position to judge justly often and the thing that makes judgment still an act of love is when it's just, when it's proportionate and I'm very bad at that and part of that vengeance problem and repaying evil with evil is often we, we have a skewed set of scales that we're using to bring our our justice and so I think Romans 12 is where I go back to with this again and just the when you're angry and you want to respond in a way that teaches the other person a lesson the best way to do that is to love them not to not to deconstruct them or destroy them but to seek something constructive and godly Uh, and that will if they don't change keep burning coals on their lap And so I use that as a kind of, when I'm interacting with people who make me angry online and I'm resenting the fact that I have to try to be good, I'm going, I can trust that God will repay, I can let go of that. Uh, And even part of how he repays is that his people act rightly in this situation rather than than wrongly. I don't know if that's that godly, but it's what Romans 12 says, um, that we should repay evil with good and in doing so, heap burning coals on their head. Um, the best thing to do when you're angry to stop you sinning is to respond with love and to be godly.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's useful to think of don't react, but consider how you respond. And in the moment that can be hard, but I think what things we talked about during wisdom, our wisdom uh, sermons was if we are practised in walking on the path of wisdom, then over time that response, the gentle answer that turns away wrath, um, a kind response, or just managing silence, um, maybe gets easier.
0: Right, well, thank you so much, Wendy. I, and I, I know you know you might have asked those questions yourself. You might have voted for those questions in the poll, and you might feel like you have particular versions of those questions that weren't answered, or particular circumstances where the answers don't apply. And that's probably totally true. Um, but feel free to, in community. Uh, Come and ask clarifying follow-up questions uh, and we'd love to continue working out what it looks like to live and love well in God's world as his people with people who aren't uh, loving us well.